Hey, everybody, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy. This is number 51 being recorded from the Sunshine Coast, where we are in the middle of doing the next field test. But this podcast, it's all about mountain bike media and spy shots. So the question that we're going to try to answer today, should mountain bike media post spy shots? The gist here is that we're going to chat about what we, Pink Bike, do when we get our paws on photos of bikes that aren't supposed to be seen yet. In other words, photos of prototype bikes that aren't released yet and that whatever company made them definitely doesn't want you to see it yet. The thing here is we want to show you that prototype bike because it's kind of our job, you know? Sometimes it's not that simple, of course, and there are certainly some valid reasons why the company doesn't want that bike to get shown. We're going to cover those as well. We'll explain how embargoes work, why sometimes there's an embargo, why sometimes there isn't, and all that stuff. First, though, if you want to hear more about this kind of stuff, make sure to subscribe to the PB Podcast and give us a good rating of some kind. So we've got Kaz here in the house. Kaz, like me, you've posted a ton of prototype bikes that have made some people angry. What's your favorite prototype that you've posted? Uh, there's been a lot. I think one that I remember is that Nomad a few years ago, I mean, it was at 2017. That definitely like raised some, uh, it caused some angry emails and photo or uh, phone calls and things. But yeah, that was one that definitely bike that bike. We got a photo of it well before that bike was released. So that sticks out in my mind. Yeah. There was Santa Cruz from, definitely didn't want you to post that. <laughs> no, they did not. Cause it was, I think the suspension engineer, someone was on that bike. They got a flat tire and then a random person took a picture and all of a sudden it was out. So yeah, we'll dig into more of that stuff later, but, uh, that's the one that I can remember most recently. Most clearly, I guess. So we've also got Brian Park here as well. Brian, you used to be the content marketing manager at Rocky Mountain. So you can tell us what it's like on the other side of the fence when Kaz posts some of these prototype photos that maybe these brands wished that they hadn't. Have I ever, did I ever piss you off posting a Rocky Mountain photo yeah. that you guys didn't yeah. want me to? Yeah, I, uh, I tried to get you to take down a photo of the previous generation Slayer and you said, hell no. Oh, which good. is the right thing and yeah um but mostly i was i was angry and i was angry and i was directing it at the wrong person i was angry at our engineer or sorry our product manager who had decided to race it at a at a ews and <laughs> you know their game right and then uh, i like i should have been angry at the things internally when i was angry at something externally i think that happens a decent amount yeah yeah i can I could definitely think of many times where I should have been angry internally and it was it ended up being externally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, I think there are some valid reasons why brands don't want things on the internet um, or that they'd want things on the internet at a certain time um, from a brand standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we'll talk about that in a bit, but it's a, yeah, it's a complicated one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to dig into that, but there are definitely some, some valid reasons and some, very sound business reasons why they wouldn't want that photo up there. And not just for the bike brand itself, but also for maybe the bike shops that are selling those bikes as well too. So mostly, mostly for the shops. Yeah. 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 But we'll, we're going to jump deep into that. There's a ton to talk about before we do that. we got to talk about last week's news. It's not the PB podcast without the carnation street to our general hospital, James Smirthwaite, James, I know you've got a lot to say about this whole mountain bike spy shot topic as well. But first, we've got to talk about the news. And I hope there were some prototypes in the news. I hope we pro posted some prototypes. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, I think everyone got the memo and, uh, and locked down their, their test rides and stuff. They had oh. too many spy shots coming out. <laughs> but we do have some news regardless, um, starting with Saracen. They have changed things up a bit, actually, and totally revamped their aerial range. So the aerial used to be an enduro platform, but it now consists of five different models from 130mm trail bike up to a 180mm enduro bike. There's also an e-bike and a kid's bike in there. So it's a pretty comprehensive range of bikes. The other big change is that Saracen is now going direct for the first time, and that's had a big impact on its prices. So Seb tested the Aerial 80, that's the 180mm version, and that comes in at a very competitively priced £2,399. 
I know a lot of you might not use pounds, but for reference, that's about 400 pounds cheaper than the cheapest Canyon Torque. So it's a really kind of competitively priced bike here. James, how many quid is it? How many quid? <laughs> <laughs> it's about uh, four bob and a monkey. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it isn't. I don't know what those words mean, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that was the right answer, though. <laughs> Uh, it's definitely interesting to see Saracen go kind of back to basics with this. There's no carbon. It's a very workhorse spec. Levy, you're out there testing budget trail bikes at the moment. Do you think there's also a market for more burly budget bikes as well? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, some of these bikes we're riding, not not all of them, everybody, but some of these bikes we're riding are $2,000, $2,300, $2,500. One of them in particular is $2,600 and... I, you know, if you told me this thing was five grand while I was riding it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, for sure. Um, I think overall I've been impressed with kind of how sturdy these things feel. And I mean, obviously that would extend to a, a burly budget bike as well. There are different different things get lost uh, for the bigger bikes where, you know, that extra weight maybe doesn't matter as much mm -hmm. just can, for your expectations. But on the other hand, on the big bikes that a little bit extra weight it really adds up fast and all of a sudden you have a 40 pound enduro bike yeah the other thing too i think to keep in mind is the longer travel budget bikes i mean they're obviously meant to be ridden quite hard and the suspension on them particularly the front suspension um the difference between that and a higher end option there's there's definitely a noticeable difference there um, you mean that there's more there's more suspension so you notice subpar suspension more on a bigger bike yeah i would argue that i would i think i would make that argument um so yeah that's something to keep in mind but i mean obviously i don't think that just because you only have well, only 2500 bucks is a lot of money everybody <laughs> but i think you should be able to go out and buy a 180 mil bike for two grand and just send it oh the review this week that was the cane creek kitsuma shock this is a development on the previous double barrel model models. The most noticeable change is that the adjustments are now all tool free. Thanks for a total of five external dials. The internals have had a tweak as well, um, designed to increase performance and reliability. Kaz, um, you spent a good amount of time on this shock. How did you get on with it? Yeah, it was decent. I wouldn't say I was blown away by it. Um, I, I understand what they're going for. Like the dials do make it so you don't have to carry a tool with you. So if you're someone that doesn't like having a tool for your shock at all. You don't really need one, mostly tool-free external adjustments. Personally, I kind of prefer counting clicks rather than uh, looking at dials, but again, it's kind of personal preference. I did find the shock was a little overdamped for my needs, but apparently they're, they've got some tweaks going on to lighten up the rebound tune and that's being addressed. So yeah, it's, it's a good shock, maybe not you know mind-blowingly amazing, but a solid option out there. For me, I like the fact that they've gone to these dials because it encourages people to at least turn them and see what happens and, and try to do some tuning as well. Cause I mean, that shock is crazy adjustable. Hey eh, guys. Yeah. It's the same as the same adjustments you'd find on a, um, like a float X2. So you have high speed, low speed rebound and compression. And then you have like a climb three position climb lever. And one thing it does have is that three position climb lever in the firmest position. It's pretty much fully locked out. So you can get this that would work on an enduro bike and have your, basically your lockout switch, which not all shocks have. Is there, is the climb switch, is the middle setting, are they still doing that firm compression and firm rebound tune like they used to do? It's, uh, I don't think so. I think it's still just low speed compression, just puts a bunch on. And then in the firmest, it closes off high speed and low speed compression. Yeah. yeah. Those things definitely have a unique sort of heavily damped feel that, I mean, I've, I definitely run my bikes a bit slower and I would say more controlled than you Kaz. I've always liked them. Um, but yeah, you're definitely. still wrong, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> um one of the key well common comments uh, about this bike is that um someone might try and uh mess with your settings at the trailhead did you did you get that at all Kaz? no i don't let anyone go come close to me and i would definitely punch them if they touched my that's settings on my suspension that's pretty much the one thing it's not a, it's a no-no when you mess with people's bikes don't don't mess with their suspension i'll get mad um, next up is Trek, and they've made an EMTB version of their Supercaliber XC bike. Uh, this is the full suspension one where the shock kind of mounts into the top tube, um, except now it's got the Fazua Evolution motor on it. So that's 250 watt hours of battery, a max range of 80 kilometers, and a max resistance of 250 watts. 
I'm pretty on board with e-bikes, probably more than anyone else on this podcast. But I mean, even for me, this just doesn't make I bought that one. sense. I bought one with my own money. Off-road ones then. <laughs> well, I could take it off-road. It has Maybe. a suspension seat. You definitely could take it off-road, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> and also a basket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this bike's a little confusing to me too. I feel like an XC bike, you can get a super light XC bike and then you can go way further than you could ever go on an e-bike before your batteries die. So I guess this is for the person that, I don't know, it kind of confuses me. The argument against this is pretty clear. It's you have a big motor, so why don't you lug out, you have a motor that isn't you, so why not carry around a little bit more, a little bit more capability? And I think if you're a company only making one e-bike, this isn't the one you start with. Um... I have to kind of just go, Trek is a big company with a lot of very smart people. They clearly know that they wouldn't make this if there wasn't a market for it. I don't think the market is me uh, or necessarily a lot of people on Pinkbike, and that's okay. True, but I still don't understand it as much. <laughs> like I, I feel like even if I was like a an X, full, full XC rider that never rides a bike with a dropper post and only wants to ride 20-pound bikes. Used to be, what if you used to be a full XC rider haven't ride ridden in a few years mountain biking is like it's a social thing you want to go with a group of people who are on e-bikes you kind of also need an e-bike but you're a cross-country guy you don't identify with these big bikes and carrying them around and whatever else but why wouldn't you just get like a kind of trail style bike like a you know a levo style or something like that that has you know five a 700 watt battery that because there's not more travel there's not enough saddle to bar drop you can't slam that stem yeah. on that thing. I mean, I will say this thing is cool because you can take the battery out and ride it. And I think it's 27 pounds without the battery. Oh, shit, that's really, that's pretty cool. So, and it's allowed, like, that's something they allow you to do where not all e-bikes are designed to be ridden without the battery. Um, hmm. so that's a thing. Like, I mean, if that caught on more in the trail bike side of things, like there was a bike that you could ride it around without the battery that, you know, weighed 30 pounds or even 35 pounds, that'd be kind of cool, but that doesn't exist yet. Moving on to race news, uh, Ben Cathro is back on our screens this week to explain what his plans are for the year ahead. After the success of the privateer race team last year with Michaela and Jamie and Phil, uh, we tried to get a full pink bike team going this year. Didn't quite work out. Brian, can you give us a bit more info about that? Yeah, all of our oligarchs didn't come through, all the, uh, the arms dealers. Um, you know, we're talking to some. Next year, we've actually, we, I'm, I'm kidding, but we, we actually do have some pretty cool plans for 22. It's just 2021 was such an uncertain season. It was very hard to get the commitment we wanted to do. But we wanted to go quite a bit bigger than we did this year, and I didn't want to go half measures. So don't worry, Ben is Ben is here. He's, he's sticking around. We're, uh, he's back in 2021. We are doing a couple of cool things. So he's going to be essentially very similar to last year he's going to be our race correspondent he's going to try doing some racing um we're still going to cover it he's still going to do inside the tape we're just not it's not the program that we'd originally uh set out to do um oh and he's also we're also working on a little um um a how-to series an advanced downhill how-to technique thing so keep an eye out for that that'll be good Another racer updating us on her plans this year was Rachel Atherton. She announced her pregnancy about a week ago. Massive congratulations go to her and Ollie for the news. Um, She's obviously in a position where she'll continue to be supported, um, being part of like a family team and and everything like that. And she's told us she wants to be really open about the process. I think that's great. Hopefully it'll lift a bit the taboo around it. She has confirmed she won't be racing this year, but she also knows she's just three wins off Anne Caroline Chosson's all-time record now. So she's on 39, Anne Caro's on 42. I think that'll be a big motivating factor uh, on her return. I absolutely wouldn't be surprised if we saw her back on top of the podium. Um, how about you guys? The um, you know, she said in the in that interview that that we did um, that she's very she approaches everything with obsession, like throws herself at things and now she's right now she's throwing herself at motherhood and uh, I think that's pretty accurate of her I think that it's very unlikely that she stops having that obsession about racing when she comes back but you know what there's there's bigger things than bike racing in the in the near future so we'll see what we see all right so that's it for the news thanks James let's go on to questions we have two today the first one is from 
Pink bike user Shredberger. Uh, this question, I think he was asking this question about the field test, the budget field test that we're doing right now. He wants to know why none of the budget bikes are full suspension bikes over 150 millimeters of travel. Basically, how come we're not testing any budget enduro bikes? Brian, how come we're not testing any budget enduro bikes? Uh, well, we could. Um, maybe we will next. But the in the short term, for me, the biggest thing was right now we're seeing so many people come into the sport and I wanted this thing to be the most useful to the newcomers. So, you know, obviously some of them are going to get into Jero, but we kind of wanted to hit the meat of the market first. Also, it's that those are kind of the bikes that are available right now and newish and coming and that kind of thing. So a little bit with the amount of scarcity that's going on right now, we're the categories we're choosing are the ones that we can actually get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so Shredberger, in the future, you might see some budget enduro bikes being tested. You're definitely going to see a whole bunch of enduro bikes being tested. Uh, yeah, and some of those might not cost eight grand, hopefully. Kaz, what, what would you recommend right now if somebody is looking for a budget enduro bike? Where would you look? Uh, Commons Hall, usually. <laughs> Dealer Direct. I mean, they kind of are winning in that that realm right now. But there are some good deals to be had. Um, what do you think yeah, about Privateer? Uh, it was heavy, but that's another bike that's pretty affordable. Um, who else is on Can't that? be heavier than a Comencel. It is, yeah. It is. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. they figured out a way to make it heavier. Um, but yeah, I think there there are some good good deals to be had. And we've always kind of said before, if you're you know on a budget, you can go with a cheaper drivetrain, but just make sure you've got good brakes and decent suspension, and you'll be all right. But but yeah, um, there's we're seeing more bikes that work well at a lower price than than ever. So all right, next question, Kaz. This was a geometry question. It's from get some z he wants to know should chain stays be getting longer for improved weight distribution when are rear center lengths going to grow to match the reach lengths um i've been riding bikes with longer rear ends lately and i definitely prefer it kaz why do you think why do you think that i prefer it i want to ask you that question um i'm not sure i'm kind of surprised that you prefer it but i do mm-hmm. think it's a good it's a good way to go because your riding style tends to be more the back end is in front of you sometimes like this getting <laughs> loose style which can be a little harder with longer chances but on the flip side i think just the level of balance that you get from a better um front to rear distribution so you kind of are in the middle of the bike and and you know that is the one i think let's see there is kind of a preconceived notion that short chain stays they're super playful and make it easy to whip the back end around. But when you get a good balance, it's really easy to move the back end around too. Like if you're centered in the middle of the bike, sometimes I feel like I can corner better because I'm not Mm -hmm. losing one end um, or the other. So yeah, that gives you the confidence to maybe play around more. And then maybe the ends up, maybe in the end, the bike ends up feeling more playful because of that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of factors there. That's for sure. And so, yeah, for this guy's question, I do think that, um, they should be getting longer and they are starting to, we're seeing more companies have bikes that either have an adjustable chain stay or size specific chain stays. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a good step and you can still make a bike with short chain stays and also be size specific. So if this company wants their bike to be a little bit more maneuverable, they can give it short chain stays, but kind of have that ratio translate across all the sizes. So I think that's a good trend. Funny, funny. You should say that, Kaz. I've got an email from the the people making the Grim Donut V2, and I think you'll be happy with the chainstay length. That's good. Yeah, we could. Uh, yeah, what's his Isaac Levison? He's making that bike that had. I feel like that the chainstays match the reach, which that's yeah. what I try. I want to try a bike that's like well, yeah. 480, 480, and see. But that's what Get yeah. Sumzy is suggesting. His his question is: When are rear center lengths going to grow to match reach lengths? Oh yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't think that's the future, but I do want to try it just to see. Why don't you think that's the future? Because there is a certain point where long chain stays do start to feel kind of strange and harder to yeah. corner with. And your, your weight, your weight is more, your weight on the bike isn't just dead center all the time. So that's way too simple of a formula. You can't just say the yeah. reach is X. So the chain stays are X. It's not, Perfect it isn't going to work like that, but they are definitely going to continue to get longer. Levy, you remember when like- we used a really simple formula to come up with the Grim Donut geometry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why hasn't anybody copied that yet? I don't understand. <laughs> but dude, that got copied before we even put the video out. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that is true. They beat us. All right. So that's enough of the questions. Let's get stuck in today's fun discussion about the mountain bike media and spy shots. 
So the phrase spy shot basically insinuates that the bike wasn't supposed to be photographed in that photo. Well, it definitely wasn't supposed to be shared with anyone, especially the internet. Uh, there are a few kinds of so-called spy shots, of course. There's the real kind where someone has seen something they weren't supposed to. So a good example of that would be that Da Vinci photograph that was on the website last week. There's also the fake kind where brands release their own photos and call them spy shots. We used to see more of that many years ago. Um, now we don't. And then somewhere in the middle is where brands, they take these bikes to races, bikes that aren't released yet. And it just happens to get photographed. And if that happens, I mean, hashtag marketing, maybe. Oh, yeah. for sure. That's, I mean, the, the thing where it's like, oh, review tomorrow, where people think that we are in a deeply coordinated project to launch a bike with a brand. It's that we've agreed to an embargo on, on a review. And then three days before the, they've got that bike ready at a race and they decide to get build hype, um, as they should, it's their job to do marketing. So they do the marketing thing and we as media do the media thing and go, Oh shit, there's a new bike and we cover it, but they're not telling us that. And sometimes actually sometimes brands are like, confused at that we covered it they're like oh but couldn't you just wait two days and it's like no you raced it at a world cup three days before the launch what are you talking about fair game it's fair game embargo or not if it's if it's at a race for sure but that's that's why sometimes you see what looks like a coordinated thing it's it's brands being smart it's a smart thing to do to to build a little hype before a review drops Hey, Brian, maybe we should also touch on how we separate those things, because if if we do have a product beforehand and we are using it, say I have, let's say I have a, a prototype bike and I've been riding it for a month and then a photo comes in from a race. What what do we do? What's our protocol there? Yeah. So maybe let's talk a little bit about embargoes, period. Um, yeah. So there's a, a definitely a workflow that I've it's it's been trial and error but we're there we've been there for the last kind of year and a half two years but basically brands when they have a new a new product uh they'll reach out to usually myself and kaz and say hey we've got a new pedal or new whatever um sometimes we sign ndas and sometimes we don't but we we will agree that i'm not going to tell people about their new pedal um personally <laughs> um we treat that information as private. Um, we then assign a tech editor um, to cover that product. So Kaz says, hey, Levy, you have to write about this pedal. Um, and it's on whatever, this such in March 28th or something. You, that's when it, when it drops. Levy then gets all the information. He'll get like a press kit. He'll get pricing, specs, features, whatever. He'll receive the pedals. We used to travel to shows or used to travel places to get this information, but now he would just receive it, um, put her on his bike and ride it up until the, t the time to launch. And then he would do a review in between or in between that, like if the product leaks before that embargo date, um, we assign a different editor. So Levy's got that, all that sweet, sweet pedal info. He keeps that to himself. He's <laughs> siloed off. I know. <laughs> I can't, I can't even keep a straight face. Sweet, With sweet the pedal info. <laughs> Uh, I just, if I used another example, people would think that we were trying to like well, give something. I, I actually have it. I have a good example, an actual example of this from a, a couple years ago, uh, Shimano XTR, mm -hmm. um, Casimir, I think it was you, you were in on the information. So you were, you had the embargo, um, you were going to test it or write about it when the embargo lifted. And then before that happened, I want to say it was a a few weeks or maybe a month before that happened, there was a World Cup race and a racer was there and used that new XTR drivetrain. We have photographers at these races to take specifically for that, to take photos of bikes and gear that people haven't seen yet. So we got the photos of the stuff. It came in. I didn't know anything about it. Kaz, you knew about it. So I wrote about the new XTR and we made another media, I forget who it was, but we made another media outlet quite angry because they said, Hey guys, this stuff's embargo. You guys agreed to the embargo. Well, I I feel for other media in that instance. I understand that it's frustrating to to think that you know, we're 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 privileged, right? We've got it's a it's a big community, it's a big audience and 
Um, I think the perception is that we're the big, bad corporate giants. It's one of those things where, yeah, I, I get that they're frustrated, but they, the frustration should have been directed internally rather than externally. Right. It's, um, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. not, we haven't agreed as a company to an embargo. We've, uh, we've agreed on a, on a launch date for that editor. And that's how we can both respect what the company wants. You know, I think there's a value to the, to the reader to have a fleshed out review on launch day. I think that that there's a benefit to, to the consumer for that. So we'll agree to that. Yeah. So my, my take on this is if we didn't post, if mountain bike media didn't post those photos, they're not doing their job. It's that simple. Um, which kind of brings us around to our first example that we talked about spy shots, Photographs of prototype bikes the brands don't want people to see yet. It's a leak of an unreleased product. So another mountain bike website, NSMB, they posted an op-ed a few days ago. And in it, uh, we basically caught a bit of heat for posting photos of a yet-to-be-released prototype bike. It was specifically a carbon fiber, high-pivot something or other that a pinker shot a photo of on the back of a car in North Vancouver. That pinker then sent us that photo to post on the homepage, which, I mean, of course we did because that's, that is part of our job. So NSMB didn't like that. And this is basically a quote from their op-ed. Um, the question within media circles is, does Pinkbike do anything wrong when they ignore the unwritten agreement that has more or less always existed between bike companies and media outlets? I think and I'd Brian? like to jump in here because I've never, James Smirthwaite is a very mild-mannered guy. He's a very, very nice man. And I've never really seen him angry before. <laughs> this, this really, yeah, this was a, it's a hard thing to hear, right? Yeah, I was just taking a big, deep breath before you jumped in there. Um, this is just strange to me. I kind of read it on Friday night and thought, is is that a bit of like sour grapes that maybe we got the story and they didn't and now i read it and yeah it's it's bizarre to me i uh i i don't understand what the media's job is if it's not to report on new products you know there's lots of these these unwritten agreements and thinking that you'll you'll lose privileges and things but you know to be as impartial as possible like we obviously all of us have relationships with these companies but it is our job at the end of the day to report news to report on you know, the latest and greatest things that are coming out, you know, it might seem silly because at the end of the day, these are all just bikes, but still like we take our job seriously. We want to inform the readers what's out there. If we were just turned a blind eye, like, oh, I didn't see that secret bike, you know, it just seems like a strange tactic. We also don't have, we don't have to have unwritten rules. Like we, the, the rules are written and I don't mean, I don't mean they physically have to be written, but like, you know, if we assign Levy that sweet pedal that he's got to do and he he I agrees. Can't wait. I know those pedals are coming. <laughs> he agrees in on the phone or something. We don't need to actually sign an NDA for it to be, you know, he treats that information as private um, yeah, for him. Exactly. And, but that's not the same thing as a brand tells us about their pedals and now every single aspect of Pinkbike is exists solely to help them launch their pedals. That's not what we're about and we can't be. I guess I also do want to say every media is different and every media should do what is right for them. I have no, you know, uh, it's not for me to say what other media should do. And if they want to not run things or wait until they've got more information or whatever, that's totally cool. This particular photo that we're talking about, did the brand reach out to us and ask us not to post the photo or ask us to take it down? Um, it happened before then. Um, so usually, you know, we will see these photos, but we'll always give the brand that we suspect it to be the courtesy of a right of reply. Um, and at that point, um, they asked for a phone call and that was when they asked us not to run it. So it, before it even went on site, we were asked not to run it. Um, the photos out there is on the forums. Like anyone pretty plugged into the sport had probably already seen that bike, to be honest. Um, so yeah, we're not going to play dumb and, and pretend that the photo doesn't exist. Um, and it's news, so we're going to put it up. So there were some insinuations in that article as well about us uh, playing ball with 
with advertisers as well. Um, advertisers asking us to remove photos or not post photos. Um, hey, hey, how many examples do we have of? Oh my god, of us posting advertisers' bikes and them being quite upset about it. I mean, it's not every time, but it's a lot of times, isn't it? Like it doesn't matter the brand, you know. It's if we see a spy a spy shot, then it doesn't matter. Like, oh, it's a trek. We're not going to post a trek. Like that doesn't that doesn't work like that. That's totally separate. Um, yeah, it's something new and interesting that we have a a shot that somebody submitted, so we, we write about it and post it up. So there were some insinuations in that op-ed as well, basically saying that we don't post advertisers' bikes. Like if an advertiser doesn't want us to post a photograph of a prototype that's not released yet, that we oblige and either won't post it or we'll take it down if we have posted it, which is, I mean, definitely not the case. I can't remember how many Norcos specialized, <laughs> many other brands, right guys? Yeah, I think I think that was the part of the article that really frustrated me the most. I, like I said, I think it's fine for other media to to try and take a different approach to us. But yeah, the part that really frustrated me was that insinuation of of pay to play or pay to win when it comes to prototypes and stuff. It's just not the case. Um, definitely, some brands have tried to flex, and fair enough. And I I think it's worth saying that we are in a privileged place where we've got a big audience and I don't have to choose between paying the team and posting and not posting spy shots, you know? Uh, uh, so I understand why some, some don't, but I, it's certainly not a, if, if you've raced your bike at a world cup, there's a fair and square spy shot in the wild. We are going to run it. Yeah. And to be fair, I, I feel like the brands, I mean, they're just those marketing guys, when they they're doing their job when they ask us to take the photos down they're not being evil about it no i think we should start by talking about the potential damage that brands feel that mm -hmm. gets done by by a leaked bike and it's mostly it's mostly due to the dealer wholesale model where a bike shop has a whole bunch of bikes on the floor or the distributor a level above the bike shop has a whole bunch of bikes in the warehouse of the 2021 bike and when pink bike posts that there's a 2022 bike coming the feeling is that it devalues the 2021 bikes on the floor and so then they would have to close them out on you know put them on sale take a reduced margin essentially lose money and i think that's what cam was talking about is that you know he doesn't like to see uh cam from smb he doesn't like to see the industry bros getting uh getting hurt losing money and um, i understand that these people are our friends it's i disagree with it but i understand where they're coming from um it sucks to see we we all have a vested industry or vested interest in the industry moving forward but i still see that our our first responsibility should be to the readers to the right like the consumers yeah and i think that at the end of the day you know Potentially, it could cost some sales, but I don't think you're going to see like a, no. a wholesale devaluation of the bike. Like everybody knows new bikes come out each year. So if they see <laughs> a shot, they're like, what? wait, there's a 2022 <laughs> model. Oh, I didn't know. I'm, I'm going to wait. You know, so there might be a few hardcore fans that do decide to hold off on their purchase to buy this new one that's coming. But overall, your person that's right walking in the bike shop, they want the bike that day. They take what's on the floor. Because so, I, I don't actually know if I agree with that. I think that it, I think there is real damage that gets done. Um from a from a sales standpoint you do have to discount your bikes to to do that um i think i would wait but, you know like i do think it, it may hurt some sales but you could also the company could embrace it and be like this is coming i don't know i just don't see it as like totally ruining any chances that they have of selling bikes and no one has bikes now anyway, so it's certainly overblown yeah. especially right now but i uh, there is some it, it does make some people's jobs harder and that's fair enough i think from the the bike shop ownership perspective too so just picture yourself you 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 own a bike shop owning a small business is not easy mm -hmm. you've been in business for a while you've got 20 somethings that you bought 18 too many of and then you're trying to sell them and then all of a sudden at the top of pink bike there is a prototype photo of the new version yeah. and some ass clown named levy says this thing looks like it's ready to go 
Well, guess what? The 18 remaining bikes that you still have that are now old, they are harder to sell. Um, and that's a perspective that I think we definitely need to remember as well, too, Kaz. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean, I get it, but I also don't think it's as, it's not the whole, like, we're not going to not post something because of that. I think that's well, not the reason, I think, like, oh, this might affect these ones. It's a, it's a balancing act, but I don't think that it's as massive as a thing as it's being made out to be. We don't, you, I think the perspective of other media is that, well, the the bike shop owner is the guy who pays our bills ultimately and i understand that because the bike shop owner buys the bikes from the distributor who buys the bike from the manufacturer who advertises with the, that media like i that's where they get to in their mind that's how they come to that decision to not run a splash up but i just think we need to take it one step further like without the consumer in that equation they are the ones that are ultimately paying the bills of both media and mount every manufacturer and everybody along that chain so why i feel like that's our that's who we're responsible to ultimately yeah we're responsible to the consumers you know we work to show you guys the stuff we don't work for the bike brands i i yeah i don't know i, I had a hard time understanding that perspective personally yeah and as a consumer i would be frustrated if i knew that pink bike or another outlet knew about all this stuff and wasn't telling me for just so that I would buy last year's bike. I'd be like, why were they doing that? I want to know about the new stuff. Like that's why I go to these websites to, to consume knowledge about product and future product. Yeah. I guess it would be no different to a review where you're potentially misleading about the flaws of a bike, right? Like if someone then goes on to buy that bike and they, they realize it's not what, you know, we, we said it was, it's, it's a similar sort of dynamic to that, I guess. Yeah, like, this linkage fork doesn't work like Levy said it does. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good example. <laughs> hey, one other thing I wanted to touch on is uh, basically the perception that it might not be classy, in air quotes, to post photos of prototype bikes. Um, what, what do you guys, how do you feel about it, that? Yeah. I thought there were some strange sentiments there where people were like, oh, the, the photo quality is so potato quality. I would just, all I want to see is high quality, like 4K images. And like how you're, it seems very strange. Like for, as, for me, if I put myself in the consumer shoes, I just want to see the newest, coolest stuff. Like ideally, yeah, it's going to be like a super perfect 4K photo or, or video or whatever. But if it's like a grainy shot of something that's coming out, I like that. Like just like a, a new Porsche that has all the weird panels blocked out so you can't quite mm -hmm. tell what it is. And you try to like figure out what's under there dazzle that's, camo yeah like that's fun and it i mean i don't know it's i just still love that stuff just because i like kind of feeling like oh i know i might know what's coming up next i want to click on the bike i want to see the things that aren't released yet and i think in any industry whether it's we, cars or motorbikes just or established cameras. that we're not classy you know i do think that the oh it's just tmz it's just for clicks it's not classy thing exists and I hear it. I guess to me, it just comes from a place of thinking that it's more than bikes. Like it's just bikes and a little bit worse, a bit soft as an industry. Like maybe there's just, it's been too cozy with, with manufacturers for too long that it, everything that doesn't seem like polished and marketing and perfect is, is, uh, if it doesn't seem like it's supposed to happen, then it's not classy. And I don't, totally understand that yeah yeah exactly and i like the speculation that it fuels like we obviously if we get a spy shot from our end you know using our knowledge we like to speculate about what the bike might be what it's for all this stuff but then the comments are oftentimes really insightful too people actually kind of try to guess what it is and what it might be and i don't know i think i like those discussions and i like how it gets people fired up about what could be coming next do you think posting these prototypes is clickbait i mean it would be if there wasn't a prototype after i clicked it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good like, point. here's a prototype and there's a prototype so no yeah I mean, I mean we're not promising like full details of the bike you know when you click through anything like that but i think people when they see the spotted sort of headline they know well this is going to be pretty speculative stuff you know and the numbers don't lie like i don't part of the argument here was that it's it's clickbait to get the clicks and i feel like if people are clicking on it that means they want to see it which means we're providing them with the things they want to see, which means we're doing our job. 
Yeah, there's definitely like a sometimes a stigma around getting hits on a website, I think. But you're right, like that, that kind of is our job in a way, you know, and there's there's let's be honest, like there are ways we could sensationalize these things even more. And and most of our content we don't do. But at the end of the day, like we'd be silly to look. You wouldn't believe what this bike that may or may not be a Da Vinci. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's obviously, yeah, like clickbait, that term is kind of cringy, but there's, you know, all articles are designed to make you click and to make you interested. That's kind of how news works. And, and, but luckily when you click on it, you see something you haven't seen before. So there were a couple other things that we're going to touch on here uh, from that article. Um, They insinuated that doing, that posting these prototypes can lead to increased prices less pre-production quality control and durability testing, an erosion of trust between brands and media, bye-bye colorful personalities and bikes, hello platitudes. So that was a quote from the article. I mean, I think what they're getting at there with less pre-production quality control and durability testing is they're insinuating that if they're worried about spy shots coming out, the brands might not be out in the wild testing these things, um, which to me, I mean, it's on the brands. It's their responsibility for them to keep these bikes from getting photographed, right? It's also really not hard to keep your bike from getting photographed. We're not, we don't post spy shots from like corporate espionage or somebody's somebody's like disgruntled ex-employee or somebody shooting photos through somebody's garage window like those are things that are offside we would not there's a reasonable expectation of privacy in those things we wouldn't do that um it's very very different to than uh when you rock up at the dumpsters with your brand new prototype there's like hundreds of mountain bikers around it's that's like going into the Whistler lift line or leaving your bike outside outside the bar in Whistler and being like, oh, weird that somebody got my my bike got its photos taken. It, if you don't want it to be seen, it's not hard to keep your bike from being seen and do good, robust testing. It's not hard. Yeah, there are there are plenty of places to do that. We've posted photos of prototype bikes from the Whistler lift line, and I I have a sneaking suspicion that those. I mean, they're taking those bikes there for testing and they're okay with it being seen if they're in the Whistler lift line, Brian, right? You would think so. I've definitely had to field some some upset phone calls from people. And at that point, my eye, like it's very hard to keep my eyes from rolling straight to the back of my head in pain. Like it's, come on, come on. Yeah, I mean, so, so to get back to that quality control and durability testing, I mean, it's not difficult for these companies to take these bikes somewhere else where there won't be hundreds of mountain bikers with camera phones in their pockets taking photos of these things. Um, I think, you know, that is on the brand. Um, Brian, increased prices. How, how would us posting a photograph of a prototype bike raise prices? Can you unpack that one for me? Yeah, I've been trying. So in the short term, it'll actually lower prices. Uh, because it'll lower the price of the existing bike. Um, potentially, the brands will have to raise prices overall to make up for that the closeout impact, I guess. Maybe somebody from a brand who's smarter than me can explain this a little better. Somebody tell me. But for me, I, I see the opposite. I see it. Actually, here's a question for you guys. Have you Has your experience been that um, direct to consumer brands are less upset about leaks or more upset about leaks. Cause I feel like it does a lot less damage to direct brands. Like I can't really think of any specific examples, like putting one against the other. Mm. Yeah. I think, it, okay. yeah, I, I don't know if I'd split it that way. There's definitely differences in how brands react, but I don't know if I'd split it along those lines. Interesting. I don't see how it can make it more expensive. A bike, either a bike's available or it's not. And if, if the market could bear a higher price, everybody would charge a higher price. I, I thought they were saying that because maybe they'll have to travel further to test or. And it's not, yeah, it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not hard to test and not be seen. Like when you finish your run, you just load it in your van and go. Like, I mean, I feel, I do feel for the guy whose car this was on. It, he didn't, you know, I'm sure it, the company got mad at him. Whoever was riding this around, they probably weren't happy with how that happened. But 
you know, maybe he was hungry for Little Caesars pizza too. So I do feel for that. And and real another point to make is there's not really that many spy shots that that the companies aren't aware of by the end of, at the end of the day. Like this one, I think is an actual spy shot. You know, to put that um, someone did see it and people didn't want it to be seen. But in most cases, most companies know what's out there and could potentially be seen. Mm-hmm. What about the erosion of trust between brands and media? I I tend to believe that if we didn't post the spy shot. That would erode the trust more, but I mean, that's just me, Brian. Am I reading that wrong? Or I think, I think as long as I, I think probably what I need to do is I need to write something probably based on these conversations and put it out as a what? How does Pink Bike deal with embargoes and spy shots? Because I think if everybody's, I exp, I have that spiel I gave about how we do embargoes. I'd say that pretty much every time I talk to a brand to explain how we're going to do something. And so everybody understands that I don't think I've ever had anybody push back on understanding how that works. And when you explain it that way. So I think as long as everybody knows how media should operate or how we think we should operate, um, I know it would, it would erode trust if brand those pedals, if Mike Levy, got the information about those pedals. I can't and, wait till they get here. I know. And then immediately went online and went, here's all the information, new pedals, here are the photos, here's all the stuff I've got. I'm, you know, forget everybody else. I said I'd wait till the 18th, but I'm not gonna. That would erode trust and rightly so. And then we would, that brand would never send us anything early again. And they, it would happen on the day of is what it is. But that's not what, that's not what's happening here. I don't think anybody... I don't think that the brand in question thinks that we're or would be afraid of giving us the information on that bike. Yeah, exactly. And like there was, I think one of the points was raised that obviously like Levy, you and I and other tech editors have items all the time that aren't released yet. Like, why don't we post those up? And that's because we have made those agreements with the company not to do that. And that's kind of our professional agreement with them to to honor the embargo based on the privilege of being able to test these things before they hit the market. So there are definitely two different situations. I'm not going to go spy shop my basement and be like, look, all these things, secrets, you know, that's not how it works. There are boundaries which you're drawing. You can't go look in someone's house and just like stalk them. That kind of thing is, mm-hmm. is out of bounds. But in a public parking lot, a public race, it's out in the open. It's fair game. And Kaz, that's exactly why we have that system set up that Brian was talking about before, because there's going to be a tech editor that doesn't have that information so that say say i have those pedals and you have those pedals but those pedals show up somebody using them at a race well you know another tech editor can write about it not us i think it's worth saying that embargoes are good for consumers as well right like um the way that kind of google's set up it privileges information that comes first um so kind of if there weren't embargoes the second that information would be released it'd be almost a race to the bottom right get the quickest thing out possible an embargo means everyone's playing to the same date we have a good amount of quality time testing that product and then we can give you you know two four six months worth of of testing on it as opposed to a mad scramble to get something out as quick as possible yeah, exactly. That's actually one of been one of the benefits of not as much travel this year. More and more companies have been able to send us products ahead of time, you know, a couple months ahead of time. So we're able to put out full reviews when the product launches. So you could read all about it, get some in-depth impressions and that sort of thing, and kind of know if maybe that's the bike for you, maybe those are the pedals for you, rather than just reading regurgitated uh, you know, PR copy, basically. Ninety percent of the time, the way embargoes get set up is that the f- the first production products get put on a plane from Taiwan and sent to HQ and then on to editors at Pinkbike and what other other mountain bike media, while the bulk of the first production run will be on a boat. And it takes about six weeks to reach North America. And so that's often, we often have six to eight weeks to play with, depending on whether they're going to, right now, I know a lot of people have things stuck in customs forever. So it's a different situation. But um, so we usually have, two-ish months to play with to get stuff together for in a typical bike embargo situation um and i think that's a good use of that time i think that that's a really good way of killing that two-month gap between between design locked production everything's done and bikes on the floor we should also talk about the fact that it's just bikes like 
I know you're you're a very calm person. I am not a calm person. <laughs> I get pretty riled. And then you remind me that, hey, it's just bikes, isn't it? Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, obviously this is our jobs and other people's jobs and livelihoods and all that, but it is just bikes. We're adults riding toys in the woods because we're lucky enough to be able to do that. Like that's not anything. So like if the, you know, if a blurry image makes you lose your mind, I don't, I don't know about that. Like it just doesn't seem the right, right tactic. There's way more important things to focus on. And yeah. And then people shouldn't feel guilty about clicking on articles with spy shots in them either. Like if you want to look at all this stuff, that's why we're putting it up. It's cool. It's bikes. And we we're you know, we're adults riding toys in the woods, but we're also big dorks to go along with that. So we just want to know about the latest cool stuff. And this is a way that we get a little early access to it sometimes. Yeah. And for everybody listening, I mean, I want to know if you guys want to see these prototype bikes, the numbers definitely say that you guys are interested in them. And that means that we're going to post them if you're interested in them. But let us know in the comments, is this something that you'd rather not see? You guys don't want to see any more prototypes? Yeah, there's going to be more and it's going to keep happening. But I don't think it's going to be a massive, you know, this has been happening for years. and It's kind of been the same thing. I don't think you'll see a sudden like change with the whole spy shot thing, how it works. And, you know, one thing to, to mention is, I think there were some people that were being kind of uh, brutal to the guy that took the shots. Like they were kind oh, of yeah. trying to shame him for, cause I think one of the shots he maybe laid under a truck and took the picture, but again, in a public place, I think it was at a bike I like park. it. Uh, yeah. Like it's, you know, he's obviously trying to get a little bit of like notoriety because as a spy shot guy, which I can see that, you know, he's trying to get involved, but there's no need to shame somebody or to try to make them feel like they're doing the wrong thing in that instance. James, you're actually from dirt mag in the UK, rest in peace. Um, so you probably have an interesting perspective on this as well. Fill us in. What was that like there when you were dealing with prototype photos and stuff? Yeah, pink, uh, sorry, dirt, sorry, is obviously much smaller than pink bike. Um, I think I held a similar role there to the author of this article, um, sort of editor, overseer of content, I guess. Um, it's very different. It's really, really different. You know, at dirt, we were kind of scrabbling for survival to be honest a lot of the time and you know at, at pink bike these these calls are a lot easier but you know at dirt maybe it'd be all right for me to say well you know we, we'll go bust but at least i still got my morals you know at least i didn't sell out but it's not just me who loses out right it's like the people in accounts or the, the person on the front desk or whatever you know um so you know i guess like if you know pink bike loses an advertiser it's it's kind of not the end of the world but you know, at dirt, um, that seriously could have pushed us over the edge. You know, we really were on the edge for a long time. Um, yeah, we, we published a lot of things that, um, maybe were advertorial that, that we wouldn't normally write about and things like that. Um, and those were kind of hard decisions to make, but like I said, like that was keeping people in jobs and, and keeping people in work. So, you know, it's much harder when you're a smaller brand like that. Yeah. And that's why I don't want to say, I don't really want to say, our way is the only way or the right way or that media shouldn't or any media that doesn't post spy shots is crap or whatever. Like, no, that's not true. Um, but I, on the flip side, I'm, I don't really understand the, the criticism directed back at us on it. Brian have pink bike editors cost pink bike advertising dollars have advertisers pulled out as a result of things that editors have written. Yes, I won't. I'm not going to say who you guys shouldn't know who's pulled out of what, but I will say, I will say that Levy's cost me m more money than anybody else. <laughs> I win. <laughs> He's worked here the longest too, though. So that's goes. true. All right, everybody. That is it for episode 51 of the Pink Bike podcast. Remember to go to Pink Bike to see all of the prototype bikes that you're not going to see anywhere else. And visit next week for episode 52. Bye, everybody. <laughs>